everyone. I'm your host, Aviva Rumani, and welcome to episode 21 of Kindred Cast, Lion Tree's bi-weekly podcast featuring insights and stories from dealmakers and thought leaders in the world of tech, media, and everything in between. For our first guest of 2018, we are thrilled to have the formidable new Weight Watchers CEO, Mindy Grossman. Mindy has become our unofficial health guru at Lion Tree after speaking at one of our Women in Media dinners. And we're incredibly honored to feature her conversation with Arie about building brands, the changing face of retail, working with Oprah and now DJ Khaled, and what's in store for this year and beyond at Weight Watchers. So we just had a great conversation with Mindy Grossman, and it's a wonderful time of year to be talking to the CEO of Weight Watchers, because speaking for myself and I think many of us, we're all thinking about what we could do better for our health and wellness as we get going in 2018. And Mindy gives us the blueprint and starts to tell us exactly how it works at Weight Watchers. Then she said her target market is anyone with a body. But beyond that, we talk about a concept called productive disruption. And she talks about lessons learned from giants in the industry that she's worked for, like Barry Diller and Ralph Lauren and Tommy Hilfiger and Phil Knight. And most importantly, she also talks about women as CEOs in the workplace and how that can be bolstered and improved and it's all of our responsibilities to create diversity and promote diversity for business reasons and social reasons. But it's also just the right thing to do. And we have a great conversation about all these things. Mindy's done a great job so far. The stock's doing well. We can't wait to hear more of her plans. Mindy Grossman has spent almost 40 years building and transforming brands. She joined Weight Watchers as CEO in July of 2017 in the past year. Prior to joining, Mindy served as CEO of HSN, an interactive multi-channel retailer of fashion, household, and lifestyle products for almost 10 years. During this time, she spearheaded HSN's Take Public from its parent company, IAC, and its complete rebranding into what we know today. Before then, she had been the global vice president of Nike's apparel business and the president and CEO of Polo Jeans, a subsidiary of Ralph Lauren. Mindy is a pioneer, visionary, and a disruptor, and a great friend. So thanks for being here with us today. I'm thrilled to be here, and thank you for that intro. Of course, of course. So Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Start to 18. I know. We're really excited to have you as our first podcast of 2018, which is incredibly appropriate in our view, because as our resident health guru, (laughs) you are here at a perfect time to help uh, shape our New Year resolution. Yeah, it is resolution time. I was telling you earlier that for almost 40 years of my career, I used to be able to start breathing on December 26th. And in this business, you kind of go into full on mode on December 26th. It's almost Pavlovian for people starting a new year. You want to feel great about yourself and you want to start these resolutions. And that's why we're here to partner. Yeah, absolutely. What's your resolution to get it out of the way? You know, every year I have the same resolution. I'm going to take a little bit more time for myself. So we'll see if I succeed this year. A week probably. A couple of days. (laughs) Well, I do have some health resolutions, but I think everyone listening today probably thinks about wellness and health in January. But Isn't that a 12-month thought process versus a moment in time? Absolutely. And as I've even said within my organization, people want to get healthy 12 months a year. Now, if January is a start, that's great. But we want to be people's partner in their health journey every single day. The mentality has changed. If I look at my parents' generation, it was more about fixing something that was broken. In today's world, people just want to live their best life. And they just need the tools to be able to know how to do that. People want to live better. 
They want to live longer. They want to enjoy what they do. While that is true, we're also facing a health crisis at the same time. So how can we be the brand and the company that can bring those two things together and really have an impact? Is that why you joined the company? Take us through the move from being a retailer historically to now joining Weight Watchers. And what was going through your mind in July of last year when you took the plunge and and I obviously had a huge successful run so far. What's the thought process? Yeah, there? Aria, it's really interesting. My whole career, I always zig when other people are zagging. And what looks like unconventional is not really. It's a very well thought out process of where I think either the world is going or I have this mantra. There are three things that I put through the lens. Am I passionate about it? Is it purposeful and will it have impact? And every decision I've made, I've run through that. I love that. I also love transformation, momentum and growth. I'm not the person you hire to keep the flywheel going because I'd be too disruptive, even if I said I wanted to. You know, I'd been at the company for over 10 years, you know, two years with Barry at IAC and then taking the company public and loved what we were doing. But in my heart, I knew there was that one more thing I really wanted to do. But I said, if I'm going to do anything else, not only do I want it to have a financial return on equity, I want it to have an emotional return on equity, but I'm not going to go work for an NGO. Mm-hmm. I'm on the board of UNICEF and I'm very happy about that. So am I. That's right. It's very special. Yes. You know, it's another thing we share in common is our belief in really helping others. But in the last two years that I was at the company, I was spending a lot of my time on what's next. Where's the consumer going? Where's the world going? Where's technology taking us? And I became very fascinated with this idea of that technology plus meaning we're going to help people live connected lives. And the brands of the future were not just going to have a purpose, but they were really going to use technology to bring meaning to people, which took me down the health and wellness path. Mm-hmm. And I became very interested. And we were actually pivoting kind of a merchandising point of view, a lot of our businesses into health, wellness. And if you think of even the consumer electronics show that's going on right now, the amount of space that's being dedicated to sleep, to health, to wellness, to care. That's where it was going. To life. In October 2015, I was watching CNBC and I saw that Oprah had bought 10% of the company. And it was the first time that I heard that the company wanted to go from being just about weight to having a more holistic approach to health and wellness. And not thinking I was going to be there, I said, I think this is really interesting. And I ended up buying a small amount of stock. Again, never thinking. And then I saw they had made a change in October 2016, and I became intrigued. And then I started having the conversation. And the more I did, the more I believed that here was this incredible 54-year-old brand with such equity and had such impact on people's lives that could be more relevant today than any other time in its history because not only did it have the best programmatic behavioral science and the program of eating, it still stood for community. But the third leg that technology enables us to have today around personalization, if you could bring all those three things together and really expand the audience for what we do and the impact we can have. I got tremendously excited, spent time with the board, spent time with Oprah, and almost wrote a mini manifesto of what I thought the brand could be. And everybody was aligned. And now that I've been here. You do zig whenever else is zagging or have a bit of a uh, passion for uh, unconventional career behavior, which I subscribe to as well. Sounds great now, but how much were you actually thinking about then versus now that you've been there, you're saying, well, this is really something I can catapult. Because when we grew up, Weight Watchers was always thought of as 
reactionary concept of I want to change myself or I want to change my weight patterns or I want to change my lifestyle and therefore I'm going to engage with Weight Watchers. But your view now is it's much more about livability, which you call it, a way of life. So it's not reactionary, but it's core to your being. Can you talk about how that works? Absolutely. So now that I've been at the company, I actually think the opportunity is even that much greater. And what I've learned, which is really fascinating, because, you know, I get asked who's our biggest competition. And what I've learned is that our biggest competition is people thinking they can do this themselves. Only 5% of people use a commercial weight loss program. So I don't even look at that. I'd rather address the 95% that we could be a partner with throughout their life. And this word livability, you know, coming from so many years of running lifestyle brands, I love this new livability word because what we do is eat special food to be on Weight Watchers. You don't have to do a special activity because we'll give you the tools to integrate whatever we do into your life. You can have dinner with your family. You can go out. You can travel. But we're inspiring you to have healthy habits that fit into your real life. And when I was in discussions, I went on the program. I was very happy. I lost 10 pounds. My daughter was getting married. So. You look great. <laughs> Always. Thank you. I went on the program and I really was educated. And I'm, what I'm finding today is that I am making much more strategic, healthy choices, not just in what I'm eating, but what I'm doing, what I'm thinking. And this idea of mind, body, spirit, like how could you help people from a behavioral science, food, activity, mindfulness, all of these things. And if you look at what's happening in the world today, we do have an obesity epidemic and the fallout of that for diabetes and other disease. We have a mental health crisis so if you can really help people holistically think about what are all the tools that they can use, educate them, and then give them further tools, whether it's our app or whether it's our Connect community platform. And in a world that we're living in, which is very disruptive, to be able to give people tools and to give them community at the same time and then let them personalize it. It's very powerful. Especially then, with a brand. Correct. And then the other thing that I learned that I think is very powerful, when someone in the family has done Weight Watchers, it actually has a ripple effect. The family gets healthier. Their extended family gets healthier. So how do we really explode that ripple effect and have people understand that we actually can help communities get healthier? And that's really the longer term vision. Yeah, it's a fascinating statistic that only 5% of the population has a commercial program, Weight Watchers included. And I like the fact that you're focusing on obviously the 95% that's not included yet. So it's a huge potential market share movement that will positively affect the world. But what is the consumer demographic? What's the person look like that you want to target or that would use Weight Watchers in the future? Not to be flippant, but if you have a body, <laughs> right? The one thing about health, it's everyone. And it crosses every demographic. I mean, I've met so many people who've been on Weight Watchers and I've met billionaires. I met people on food stamps. I really think that there's more commonality globally around how people are feeling about how they want to feel about themselves and what they want to do. And look, when people aren't as healthy as they want to be, they don't feel good and they feel that they're not accomplishing something. 
So part of it is giving people confidence that they can do this and confidence that they're not alone. So when we say we inspire healthy habits, the we is not just us. The we is the community. I think that's really important. So one of our goals certainly is to grow and diversify our member base around the world and have people feel like they want to engage and be an ongoing part of the community. And in the future, not just because you want to lose weight, but because you just want to learn and have the tools to live a better, healthier life. To give people that are listening a sense of the scene here, it's not just you and I in the room. We typically do the podcast with a few people in the room and everyone's benefiting from listening to you while we're talking. And I've never seen everyone nodding their heads in a podcast <laughs> like this one, including myself. As you're talking, it's really a personal engagement. It really applies to everybody around the table, around the firm, around the world. And you know, it's funny, it's personal to me. So I was telling this, I went to my first Weight Watchers meeting when I was 14 years old on Long Island. And I gained like the adolescent 10. And my mother struggled with weight issues her whole life. She had a first heart attack at 50. So it's very personal to me. I wanted to be a cheerleader. So I lost 10 pounds and I made the cheerleading team. So thank you, Weight Watchers, for that. When I think of it, everybody I talk to, they've had a Weight Watchers moment. So I asked everyone, what was your moment where you made the decision to do this? Whether you made the decision to download the app or you made the decision to go to a meeting or what, what was it? And the answers are so palpably emotional. Either my daughter said to me, dad, I want you to be healthy, or I wanted to be there for my grandchild, or I wanted to be able to run up and down the steps, or I wanted to lose weight for my wedding, or I just became a mom and I want to be healthier for my children. If you can help people, the impact that you have and then their relationship with you becomes so powerful because it's just not a transactional relationship. I mean, you're really impacting people's lives. By the way, I'm a strong believer in people losing weight after their wedding, not for their wedding, because <laughs> you only see people at their wedding, their wedding, and afterwards you want to see people and say, you look so much better than you did at the wedding. <laughs> I think you don't want to benchmark <laughs> to yourself at the one. wedding day as being your perfect figure. Yeah. Talk about technology in targeting that demographic, because there obviously, it applies to everyone around the world, but not everyone has mobile devices or smartphones. I mean, how do you think about mobile and technology in targeting that demographic? You know, we really think of ourselves to a degree as a mobile platform company up. So we're a technology experience company with a human centric aspect of what we do. What's the most personal device we all have in our lives? It's our phone. And when you yeah. get up in the morning, you're going to check the weather, you're going to check texts or emails. And why wouldn't you want to check in with us? You know, how do we inspire you for whatever that day is? So whether it's inspiring you by checking in with the community and connect, which is our community platform within our app. I spend a lot of time on it because it's just so powerful. And there's three things that people share on there. They share food because again, you can eat everything. So there are new recipes of food. They share their success stories and then they inspire each other. And there's zero toxicity. You've never seen anything like that mm. because the community supports one another. Technology is really enabling people and we're investing for the future in being able to personalize even more in AI and really helping people in their journey, whether it's prompting them for activity or how to get back on track or recognizing or rewarding them for success. Also engage people if they want to build physical communities. So in the U.S. alone, we have 15,000 meetings a week. Wow. Globally, about 25,000. And when you see the power of people coming together and different groups of people 
coming together, supporting one another. And I think in today's world, people are really looking for that. Yeah, I mentioned before, we just had our second WW cruise. Think of it as a week of health and wellness on the sea. There's yoga, there's healthy cooking, there's people coming together. And there were a thousand people on the last cruise. It's a partnership with MSC Cruises. We want to continue to develop other experiences to bring people together to share in health and wellness and to educate. So that could be a meeting, that could be an event, it could be a food festival. Yeah, I mean, these are examples of physical get-togethers or locations or cruises or, or meetings. So let's talk about social media for a second because the brand of Weight Watchers is now championing how to work with social media. I'll give you a little trivia question, see if you have your social media down. Who has the most Instagram followers, Beyonce? Cristiano Ronaldo, Selena Gomez, or Justin Bieber? Any guesses? Instagram. Yeah. Bieber or Beyonce? Okay. They're all on the top of the list. Selena yeah. Gomez. Really? 132 million followers. And just to put it in context, Instagram has about 800 million active users. That's a huge percentage. But she's so, fantastic. She's amazing, right? And I'm sure these go in waves, and I'm not as up to it as my kids are in the broader social public. But what is the Weight Watchers social media strategy? Because you've had some recent announcements. And you are the crest of the wave of how to use social media with the brand. Can you talk about the broader strategy for social? In a business that is so community driven and the community wants to power each other, the power of social media for us is endless. And the idea of ambassadors that really can share and that can bring people together and that can motivate other people are really important. So for example, in the US, we have 130 Weight Watchers ambassadors who are people who'd been on the program, who are incredibly socially savvy and have their own followings. And they become the evangelists, as you will, to share their experiences with other people. We recently announced DJ Khaled as our newest social ambassador. Awesome. Tell us about it. And talk about a phenomenal partnership. He inspires legions, as you know, of people between his Snapchat, Instagram. Four million Snap views per Snap. Nine million Instagram followers. I mean, he is the king of social media right now. Yeah. But more than that, you know, when I spent time with him in LA earlier in the year, he's so authentic and he so truly believes in what he does and he doesn't do anything and doesn't have to do anything he doesn't want to do. So it has to feel genuine. It has to feel authentic to him and his soul, actually. And when he had his son, Assad, he really wants to inspire him and he wants to be great and he wants to be healthy and he wants to be there for him. And so if he can do that, but he can also inspire whole other communities to feel the same way, that's huge impact that he can have on other people. And that's really meaningful to him. And so everything he's done is so genuine and you can feel it. Yeah. And it's also, he's a real partner for you now. He's a real partner. Yeah. And is it also about getting to more of a male demographic? Is that part of the strategy? You know, when I think of diversity and I think of the opportunity that we have, diversity is age, diversity is gender, diversity is ethnicity, diversity is life stage, as well as geography. So what we're looking to do is be able to appeal to as broad an audience as we can to have the greatest impact we have. And his following is incredibly diverse across 
all of those elements. And he reaches and touches an audience. And certainly it's great for us to reach a younger demographic, a more diverse demographic, and one that really has a relationship with him. It's not just information out. They feel part of his community. Correct. Yeah. And so what are we going to see from the partnership going forward? Is he going to update his followers on his progress with Weight Watchers? You know, whatever we do will just feel very authentic. And it goes back to that word livability, Mm -hmm. which is what he loves about Weight Watchers. It could fit into when he's traveling. It could fit into his lifestyle. So whatever we do and whatever he does will really emanate from what he wants to convey. Yeah, and he's now on a new TV show on Fox. Yeah, launched last night. Launched last night, exactly. And and Charlie Walk and Diddy and uh, Megan Trainor. Sounds like a great show. It's great. Yeah, awesome. So two years ago, a woman named Oprah took a 10% stake in Weight Watchers, which was just a huge announcement. I remember the stock had a great reaction just by virtue of her association. What is that like about having Oprah as a real equity holder, a partner, leader in the company? What's the partnership look like? Look, I feel very blessed. Who would not want Oprah as a board member of their company? And what's amazing about her is she's an incredible businesswoman. She's a visionary. She's a thought leader. And so for me to have someone like Oprah as a partner in how we're evolving and transforming and growing the brand has just been very, very powerful. And she is so engaged and I can reach out and go, I have an idea. What do you think? Or she can communicate with me. And as we've been working on kind of the elements of the brand transformation and everything, and then certainly where it's authentic to her, for her to be able to communicate to broad audiences, what Weight Watchers and what our new program Freestyle, for example, in the U.S. means to her, clearly that's quite powerful as well. Yeah. How often do you guys speak about the business? Pretty often. Yeah. Which is great. And it's not structured. We're both the type of people when we have ideas and when we have thoughts, we want to share and we want to partner. And that's been terrific. Yeah. So I want to get to the corporate environment a little bit, because here at Lion Tree, we've found it to be a, a struggle to keep everyone healthy or promote a healthy lifestyle while you're doing work and deals all the time. And so in order to help solve that in our own little way, two years ago, we had what we now call the purge, where we cleaned the kitchen out and made it completely healthy, which we've sustained to this day. And then recently we've been doing this thing called Roar at Four, where we all get together at four o'clock and we do 40 push-ups as a firm together and try at four o'clock when you usually want coffee or sluggish. And we all kind of try to get healthy. Okay. I love that. Yeah. I may have to like copy a little bit of it or come (laughs) at four and, and do it. Look, corporate America has as big a crisis as the world as a whole. And so in addition to our consumer business, we have our health solutions business, which we're also working on transformation. How do we also become a partner to companies? And on the CEO advisory board of American Heart Association, if you look at companies today, particularly in America, there are three crises, obesity and the trickle-down effect, mental health and the opioid crisis, unfortunately. Where it manifests itself is not just in healthcare costs, but in lack of productivity, et cetera, et cetera. So we want to be partners and we want to be able to provide both the structure, the support, the information and the data, how we can have impact. So a great example is we have a partnership with the city of New York and working with their employees and we measure and we've seen we've had impact on 
productivity. So how do we keep building off of that and become strategic partners? You look at companies, you do see a big shift. So in my last company, we wanted to be a platinum health and wellness company on our campus. We changed our whole cafeteria. We changed our vending machines. We put a one mile walking path. So what you're doing, for example, is fantastic because it's keeping things top of mind for people that you will have the healthiest employee base if you're motivating them to do so. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. So your strategy, which I think is great, is one that resonates with all of us personally, but it's also a great business strategy. So I want to talk about the business a little bit because some of the quick statistics on Weight Watchers The stock is up over 300% in the last 12 months. It's up almost 50% since you joined in July. You've had eight consecutive quarters of growth. You have 3 million paying subscribers. You sit on the preeminent database for health science solutions, and you've built a thriving digital community, and you're going global. I'm not going to ask you if that can continue because obviously it's a public company, but what is your prognostication for 2018? How's the business looking today? And where do you see it going over the next 12 months? Look, we, we believe that we have the tools to continue to create momentum. We just launched our newest program, which is, I think, the simplest, most effective, and is having the best results of anything in the company's 54-year history. To your point at the very beginning of our conversation is, why just January? We really want to take the approach of, we want to continue to maximize the business for 12 months a year not just in that early time period, which was relatively distorted. So I think we have that opportunity. We have an opportunity, as I mentioned before, around diversifying our audience base and expanding from there, building community, really preparing ourselves to think about what would geographic expansion look like. Mm -hmm. Although our big focus now is really the markets that we're in, um, but creating capabilities for the future. What are the geographic target areas that you're not in that you think well, so right now, about 70% of our business is in North America. And then we have businesses in continental Europe, UK, Australia, New Zealand, and very small business in Brazil. So we're currently not in Asia. We're not in some of the other markets. We're really not in Latin America to a degree. What we do really, to my earlier point, demographically, if you have a body, we can help you get mm-hmm. healthy. So there's opportunity in the future. But again, for now, we're very focused on the opportunities within the market. Markets we're in. And but you're just scratching the surface. We're just scratching the surface. I'm very good at back at the envelope math. And I said, okay, if you just take the population of North America, the UK and Australia, and you take the viable adult population and you take the percentage of that population that's either overweight or obese, if we just touch 10% of those people, that'd be 18 million people within the Weight Watchers family. But more important, that'd be 18 million people that we could help. I always try and inspire people to think 10x and what would that look like? And in this business, if we did that, yes, we would have the financial return on equity, but the emotional return on equity and what we could do, not just for those people, but the people they influence is so powerful. Oh, yeah, for sure. So while I have you, Mindy, can I ask you a few big picture questions away from Weight Watchers, given sure. your experience? In your past life career-wise, which is a young life still, you've worked for some powerful men, Barry Diller, Ralph Lauren. How were those experiences and Any lessons learned for the rest of us as we deal with these kind of figures? I've been incredibly fortunate to have worked for some incredible people from Tommy Hilfiger to Phil Knight to Ralph Lauren to Barry Diller. And what's interesting is my entire career, I've only worked for entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. 
I almost feel like I'm kind of an entrepreneur. I come into a business thinking like an entrepreneur because of the incredible mentorship that I've had. And I've learned different things from everyone. So from Phil, the power of humanity and innovation and culture, from Ralph, the purity of brand and the lens that you look through. And it's more important what you say no to than what you actually say yes Mm -hmm. to for a brand. And then from Barry, that risk-taking and boldness is the essence of transformation. One thing that's really important, especially given the world today, which is there's been so much, obviously, negative news and things happening in corporate America and the environment. I've always made choices of where to go based on culture and based on who I'm going to affiliate myself with. I've also always gone to companies where I feel that my voice is going to be heard and that I feel very comfortable with productive discomfort and saying things that challenge the status quo. And I think that needs to happen more in today's environment for companies to really foster culture. I've said many times that culture trumps strategy. If you don't have a healthy, embedded, devout, inspired culture. You may be able to do business in the short term, but you're never going to build a sustainable brand. I think culture is particularly important in a time of disruption, as you mentioned. So you have to have something that you could fall back on as businesses are changing and the industry is changing and the macro environment is changing. Culture is a good backdrop of comfort and stimulation and inspiration at the same time. So I totally agree with that. With your experiences in retail, one of the big change agents going on is the retail apocalypse, as they call it, uh-huh. in terms of the retail business going to an e-commerce world. And I've seen reports that it's only 9% of retail sales, but in reality, it's closer to 20% if you make some adjustments. And obviously, Amazon is at the forefront of that. Any perspectives on how the retail environment is moving digital? You're in a growth business right now, so it's right. not as much of a transition model as much as the retail business. I am a fervent believer that physical retail is not going to go away, but it is going to have to change and it's going to have to evolve. Unfortunately, the two most overused words in retail are lifestyle and experience. Everybody wants to think they're a lifestyle brand. And I like to say, no, sometimes you're just a bathing suit company. Okay. Everybody wants to create an experience, but they don't define what that means. Retail today, there's still too many companies who are bifurcated. They're still not thinking of a 360 degree experience and how they're using technology to merge all of those, number one. Number two, they have to be thinking of what are they creating of value for the customer, especially young people today. They want brands that mean something with a purpose and they want to convene. Apple does not have a traffic problem. Athleta has built a community business. So I think today, if you are going to be retailer that's going to meet people where they want to meet, you can't tell anybody where to find you anymore. You have to meet people where they are and you have to give them a reason that they want to engage with you. People have to totally rethink. They have to take lessons from hospitality. Actually, there was just an article. A lot of the brands that we would call lifestyle brands are now going into the hospitality business. You have to be thinking of yourself very differently and you have to take off that transactional lens. And that's really hard for people. Meaning that it has to be something more long-term than just at the moment? I find that brands and boards and companies today that say they're taking the long view and they really want transformation... 
they say that and then all of a sudden somebody comes in and really wants to transform and has to have short-term disruption, then they all get nervous. If you're not thinking long-term today and you're not making hard decisions, you're not going to set yourself up for the future. Which is sometimes difficult as a public company because you do have some short-term consideration. Look, you have to be responsible Mm -hmm. in our business. We have to keep the momentum of the business we have today to be able to fund the investments for the future. And we have to see growth, but we have to make sure that we are balancing that growth with strategic investments to be able to leverage. Mm -hmm. And that's responsible management. You also have to be able to clearly articulate and be very transparent of what you're doing, why you're doing it, what the impact is. At the end of the day, you have to execute. Short-term and long-term. Correct. So I'm sitting here with you, Mindy, and we're having a great conversation. I'm learning a lot from you, and I think you're one of the most capable incredible CEOs that I know. But you are a woman, but I don't think of you that way. I think of you as a great CEO. It just so happens to be that in the Fortune 1000 companies, only 50 of those companies have female CEOs, which is way too small. Why is that the case? And what's your advice to executives and women that are building their careers to to change that dynamic and advice to me and the rest of us of how we make that happen? I'm very passionate about this topic. I've gone from annoyed to angry to incensed. I really applaud Sheryl Sandberg for coming out with Lean In and talking to women. But the reality is we could be leaning in for the rest of our lives if men don't take responsibility, not just equal responsibility, sometimes even greater responsibility for diversity as a whole. Because diversity isn't just about gender. It's just not about ethnicity. It's about diversity of thought and what you're building within an organization and cultures of respect. We're not going to change if there isn't a very thoughtful, strategic and measured approach to change. So within corporations, if there is succession, there has to be accountability for the diversity pool within that succession plan. And I'll never forget, I was so proud of Nike when they knew they really wanted to diversify. There was a a period where you could not fill an open position unless 50% of the qualified candidate pool was diverse. Now you could then hire who you thought the best person was, but you had to consciously identify a great candidate pool. And if you do that consistently, you will create change. Second is you have to hold management accountable. So if you look and you say part of your responsibility as a leader is that you're building a diverse organization, well, you have to be evaluated on that and you have to measure that. Would I love a future where we didn't even have to talk about diversity, that it was very natural? Yeah, but it's not today. And I think boards and CEOs have to hold themselves accountable because this is not a nice to have. There is clear quantitative and qualitative measurement that says companies that are more diverse ultimately over time will return greater equity. So if you're not, you're basically saying to your shareholders, I don't want to be as successful as we can. So I'm really- Yeah, why limit yourself? Correct. So I'm really hoping, and I certainly feel that as a woman, as a CEO, I have a responsibility that if I've- gotten to the point where I have a platform, I have to use that platform to inspire other people on what I think is important. And this is a topic I obviously feel very passionate about because I think it's important to our future. I think it's important to the world's future that we embrace diversity across every element of life. I agree. And I thank you for being part of our women's leadership seminars we did with Lion Tree and Zelig yeah. Media. Well, I think what you're doing is so powerful because you're bringing people together and you're 
creating conversation. I love this phrase. We've got to be comfortable with productive discomfort and we have to be able to put things on the table and we have to be able to talk about them. And that's why I love everything you're doing because you'll do that. You'll put it out there and you'll have a productive conversation and people can feel comfortable bringing different things to the table. And there just has to be more of that in corporate America. It's the right thing to do. And as you said, it's the right business decision as well as you're building a company and you're building a brand and building a community as you're doing. So like you said, as an entrepreneur now myself building this company, I'm learning from other entrepreneurs every single day and I have over the last two decades of my life. And I'm learning from you as well here. So I really appreciate your being here and being part of the family of Lion Tree. And I hope we can continue for a long time. And I hope 2018 is going to be the best year ever. Ditto on all of that. It's been a privilege and it's going to be a great year. Thanks, Thank Wendy. you. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed our show today. If you want to check out any prior episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. Feel free to leave a review as it helps people find the show. You can also always follow us on social media. Our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook handle is at KindredCast for behind the scenes photos and info. Audiation.